back here tomorrow night. So she says she looks at 40 Wall Street, the Trump building, quote, each and every day. The New York Attorney General, Letitia James, now has this new warning to Donald Trump regarding the $355 million fraud judgment that he was hit with late last week. Watch. If he does not have funds uh, to pay off the judgment, uh, then we will seek, uh, you know, judgment enforcement mechanisms in court. And we will ask the judge to seize his assets. To seize his assets, potentially. So what about that concept of potentially seizing the assets of a person who was found liable for fraud when that person is also a former president of the United States and the likely Republican nominee for president. Come on in. I'm Blake Berman. This is The Hill on News Nation. All right, here we go. Hanging out with us today, Chris Steyerwalt, News Nation political editor, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute as well. Ashley Davis, former George W. Bush White House official. Chris Hahn, News Nation contributor. And joining us for a bit as well, Kevin O'Leary, famed investor. You might know him simply as Mr. Wonderful. Hello to you all. Thanks for being here. Hello, hello. Kevin. Great to be here. Thank <laughs> you. Welcome to News Nation. Thank thanks, you. Uh, thanks for being here on the Hill. Um, I'll start with you. You hear those Letitia James comments, because mm-hmm. you've been pretty outspoken about, about all of this and what it might mean for New York and businesses in the recent days. Um, the idea of, you know what, we might seize his assets. Yeah. From a business perspective, what do you make of that? So you remember, I have to look through at all of this uh, through the lens of being an investor. Right. So I don't make money with politics. I make money with policy. So I care about policy. Now, uh, one of the reasons that the United States of America is the magnet for so much sovereign wealth from all around the world is our law, is our justice system and the perceived fairness of it in every state. And so if you're going to put billions of dollars to work somewhere in the world, the most coveted place to do it is in the United States of America. That is the brand of America. That's what it is. You don't really want to mess with that. You really want to make sure, no matter who you are, and this is not about Trump, this is not about politics, it's about what is America and capital and capitalism. And what does it mean when all of a sudden this starts to happen in any state? Forget about New York. Seizing assets is, happens in many countries where you wouldn't want to put your money. When the government can just decide, look, no monies were lost in the case. A rogue judge, in my view, that's a rogue settlement and should be reviewed and it will be through the appellate courts. And remember, there's extreme cases where the Supreme Court came through and said, no, this is so offside. BMW had a case, I think, in the late 60s where they fixed that from the Supreme Court level. So I'm, I'm assuming this case is getting so much international scrutiny it doesn't make you feel very good as an investor to watch this happen. Are businesses that, pulling out? Like, no, like, what, what's no, the chat? This has only happened in the last week. Right, right, of course. And so we're all, first of all, developers are asking themselves, okay, does this mean if I put a billion dollars in the ground in a development? And, and my, I do data centers, so I, mm-hmm. I spend up to $3.6 billion in the ground, and I need really stable policy. I have to be in partnership with the state. Has to be, because you're talking about very long-term contracts. 
If I have to choose to put a data center in a state that has power, New York has power, New York has fiber, those are the two things you need, but you also need policy and stable government. They have two out of four. So I go to other states now. I, I don't take the risk, but the great people of New York, and I have to say that because one of my kids lives there. I go to New York City all the time. <laughs> don't you think they're asking themselves what's happening to us? What, what's going on here, regardless of your politics? I mean, I'm not the only person putting up my hands saying, wow, this is really starting to get crazy. Here was Letitia James when asked, uh, you know, about the idea of maybe some businesses are going to start pulling out. Here's what she said. Watch. And last I checked, tourism is up and Wall Street is doing just fine. Wall Street's doing just fine, Kevin. She says essentially there's going to be no consequences from all of this. No, I, I listen, I, I always support leadership, and I believe in the electoral process and what we do. Mm-hmm. I would just, as if I were living in New York, and I was paying taxes in New York, because ta- taxes are very uncompetitive in New York. That's, right. that's not me. That's no, everybody. That's, that's why fact, yeah. thousands of people move to Texas and Florida and yeah. Tennessee. That's just happening anyway. It's nothing to do with me. But... I would ask myself, have I hired the best management I can get for my state? Because I have to live here after these politicians are gone. Maybe I want to review the managers, because I think the management of New York, the city and the state, are not the best that people could hire. And, and that's a policy guy. I would hire better managers. So what about the politics <laughs> of this, well, Chris? First, first of all, I love you. Uh, but I'm going to attack you now. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people's grandparents in 1978, 79, 80 were saying the exact same thing you were doing, and they stopped investing in New York, and now they're living in some poor retirement community down in Florida because they should have bought condos and uh, commercial real estate in New York. Not so because poor New anymore. York is a great, <laughs> New York is a great, great state to be and do business in. And in, case, frankly, in case you don't know, Kevin, he was a former aide to Chuck Schumer. <laughs> so second, uh, look, this didn't have to go down this way. Trump could have settled this a long time ago for a much smaller fee. His attorneys could have been more competent in court and maybe checked the jury box on there so they had a jury trial. And maybe they could have controlled their client and had him behave in court. Yeah, I think that this might get pared down a little bit at the appellate division, but I don't think it was unfair. And if we're going to talk about the rule of law being important to investors in the United States, it's got to apply equally so, to everyone. So what about, like, as a Nikki Haley supporter? Yes. And I just wonder if, if as Letitia James says those things and raises these possibilities, Donald Trump eventually becomes the nominee. You say, wait a minute, like, I don't like those things, and, and Haley supporters like yourself start to rally around him? Oh, well, no. I mean, listen, all the Haley supporters are still Republicans, so even right. though we've mm-hmm. been friends with Haley for <laughs> a while, Chris, yes, um, it doesn't uh, matter. They we're, we're still, re- we're still they Republicans, were, they were and we're still <laughs> going to support the Republican. That's right, we are. But I do think the more that Letitia James says stuff like that, the more it helps Donald Trump. I mean, this is just like free advertising for him. Chris. And Chris, we've talked about this many times. Well, Mr. O'Leary, I have a proposal for a product. Uh, (laughs) And the proposal is a presidential nominee from a major party uh, who is under 70 years old, uh, is not facing multiple indictments, or has not been found by the Justice Department to be a well-meaning elderly person with a poor memory. We have a problem, right? Which is that whenever either of these candidates is in the news, Mm -hmm. voters go, oh, gosh, right? Now, the New York... 
uh, you were the one who called it a loser state, right? And California. And California. Well, there's and, other ones, too. And that's what I was, was, was going to say. And the list is longer, yeah. right? The list is longer because, just as you said, as it relates to tax policy, uh, as it relates to demographic trends, as it relates to everything else, it's like you tip the United States up and you've seen basically people who can move – Young people, dynamic people, people with jobs, people who can who can get hired have moved where they've moved south and they've moved west. And we've seen Texas, Utah, Arizona, I went, Florida. I went to Florida for a minute. You went Look to Florida Nashville for a minute. right now. What's happening Booming. there? You can't even get a hotel room there. It's I'll the hot chicken. Oh, my goodness. It's the, it's the fastest growing city in America, and it's got fantastic policy. Tennessee is a winner state. I'm not saying that people are losers. I'm saying they're managers are weak managers and have rendered their states less competitive in the loser category. And the people were so mad about Donald Trump because he was a hometown boy. He was their guy. And so that's how Alvin Bragg got elected running, promising to prosecute Donald Trump. That's how Letitia James got elected, promising that she would go after Donald Trump. So this is giving the mob what the mob wants. But she's done a hell of a good job. But I ask everybody at 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 our table right now, is New York today a better place to do business than it was 10 days ago or a little bit more risky just a little bit can more you on can you honestly say uh, yeah getting better all the time nobody oh, nobody on, has on. won betting Not against bad. new york I would encourage you to invest heavily in New York. I'm here to pitch you on a couple of uh, commercial office buildings yeah, that are, yeah. are really in dire straits right now that probably should be converted That's, to condos I, I because people are still moving to New York City. If I invest in them, will someone seize them from me? Am I next? No. No, look. Look, again, the legal system works when people want to be want to have goodwill towards it. And frankly, I don't think Trump wanted this to go down any other way, got it exactly the way he wanted it. He wanted to be a martyr for political purposes. I don't think he expected the judgment to be this large. I don't think anybody did. But he wanted this to be a freak show, and that's what he so got. So you don't think it has any impact? In fact, today, people are saying, let's go to New York because it, it's much safer because they seize assets. No, no. Look, look. I read your, I read your, uh, your, your comments on this. You cannot separate Trump from what happened in this trial. Well, I Trump feel, made I feel this the happen. Has. Trump made this happen the way he wanted it to happen. He pro- again, I don't think he expected the judgment to be this large, but he wanted the sideshow. He wanted the freak show. He could have settled this years ago for a small fraction well, he of what he, he, was he doesn't think it should have been brought to begin with. Well, so it, these that. are hardly ever brought well, because people settle okay, them when they so get caught so, with things so like that. So that law has never been used in this way in 75 years. Never. We've never had a defendant who thought he was above the law okay. like this man. So, so I'm, I'm just saying this is not about Trump. It's about New York. And yep. I think people should think about that. All right. So let's talk about President Biden, other side of the aisle for a second. He is now canceling another $1.2 billion in student debt for more than 150,000 borrowers all across the country. In total now, the Biden administration has now forgiven, you see the number there, $138 billion for nearly 4 million borrowers. That is, since the Supreme Court struck down his original plan. The president says he is proud of what's been done, and he is not finished yet. I'm proud to have been able to give borrowers, like so many of you, the relief you earned. I promise you I'm never going to stop fighting for hardworking American families. President Biden in California. Kevin, um, you've been critical of this concept. I I know not not the person per se here, but, but the concept. Why? It's completely unfair to people that didn't go to college prior to this forgiveness of debt because they couldn't afford it. 
Why this cohort out of multiple generations of good, hardworking people who killed themselves to borrow and pay back their debt? And all of a sudden, what is the message? You don't have to do that. Money's free. You don't have to pay it back, but only you, only your cohort, no other cohort. Why not give back all the money people have paid back? Why is this cohort the only one that gets this deal? How unfair is that? What kind of a message is that? I'm 100% against this. Okay. You said this drives you crazy? It drives is that me what you crazy. said? And you've said this before. It's completely un-American what he's doing. Obviously, it's a political stunt right now, but it's, it's disgusting, and I completely agree with is, Kevin is, on is that. It, is it buying votes? Right, well, like yeah. Well, it's, it's helping. saying, "Hey, this is what I promised when I ran." Most people, when they make promises like that, and then Congress or the courts stop them, say, "Okay, I hold tried." Hold on, hold on, hold on. But, but some liberals are some liberals are saying President Biden hasn't done enough. Op-ed in the Boston Globe: uh, Elizabeth Warren and. Chuck Schumer. Biden has done much to relieve student debt, but he can do more. I think so. Look, I still have student debt, right? I'm prepared to send my daughter to college and she's not going to have any debt. But I still have debt because I rolled it into a very low interest loan a long time ago. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) But but I I have not qualified for any of these programs. But look, I understand college is ridiculously expensive. Yeah. And it's out of control and something's got to be done. I don't know if this solves that problem, but I think that Congress, I think people who are in the education field need to solve the problem of why it costs well, so much. Well, fix that problem. Don't have the taxpayers pay well, for look, this. The taxpayers pay for things they don't want all the time. Uh-huh. Groups benefit all the time. I, I want to get, get Kevin's take on the economy real quick, but put a bow on this, Chris, where, where the president is right now. Well, look, we uh, scammed the American public on the idea of college as a pathway for everyone into the solid middle class. People borrowed quadrillions of dollars. We inflated this massive bubble, government-backed, and then people uh, were not able to get degrees, and they were left with uh, loans on worthless or never-attained degrees. I feel very bad for those people, but Kevin, Mr. O'Leary, is exactly right, which is if you go and say to one group of people, this would be a, a, the term would be a bill of attainder, if you say, we're selecting out you, this group of people, and you're going to get favorable treatment, not your parents who paid their loans back and not the next group of people who paid their loans back. From a political standpoint, I'm sure it helps Biden to try to crank up some support among younger voters. But I think the backlash among working class voters and older voters will outweigh whatever he gets from this. By the, by the way, I, I would say during when, when I was covering the, the Trump administration, one of the questions that I would ask during the trade war and and all of that was Donald Trump was saying we're going to help the farmers. Right. Like twenty six billion. And the question was, wait a minute. I thought Republicans say you don't pick winners and losers, that the government doesn't pick winners and losers. And now, I guess not to put words in your mouth, but to your to your point, even this is essentially picking. It happens all one one side or the next. Um, All right. Real quick. Bidenomics. Is this an action? Despite some good economic data being announced recently, Americans are still struggling with inflation, particularly at the grocery store. As a new piece in The Wall Street uh, Journal points out today. The last time that Americans spent this much on food, George, at least as a percentage of disposable income, George H.W. Bush was in the Oval Office. Terminator 2 was in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Consumers are spending more on their income, uh, more income on their food than they have in over 30 years. Kevin, you, you've got as broad of a view over this yeah. as, as probably anyone. Where are we right now in the economy and, and where do you think it's going to be, let's just say, since this is a politics show, later this summer 
when we're starting to really think about a presidential election. There'll be no relief from the Fed this summer. I don't think they will get rate too. cuts at all this year. Okay. The, mm. If you look at the... No rate cuts this year. I don't think so. Everybody has an opinion on this, but I'm, I'm preparing our portfolios for no rate cuts. Terminal rate now is, right now is 5.5%, and I've assumed the cost of our capital will be 200 basis points over that minimum, and it's not going to change. And the reason is the stubbornness of these core inflationary elements to how this is calculated. Food is a killer for any incumbent. doesn't matter what party you're in. When food inflates and you're in an election cycle, this is the enemy of the incumbent because every day people deal with this, every single day, to the morning they get up and pour the Cheerios in the bowl to go vote. They know they're paying 30% more than it was only 36 months ago. This is a killer. It's tough. I I always say on the show, when Chris agrees with me, I feel smart. Tell (laughs) tell me if you agree with me or if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm... uh, set myself up here. I've been saying I think Jay Powell, the chairman of the Fed, is one of the most important people this election cycle. Right yeah. or wrong? I, I, I think he is, but he is not going to... No? Let... Ooh, you're shaking your head at me. Well, no, he can finish this, but it's not going to matter because food is still not going to go down by the time that no. people are raising Sorry, finish your thought, Kevin. So that's why I don't, I don't agree with you on that. But. I, 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 look, I don't think he cares about politics. I really don't. I think he's been one of the greatest Fed chairman ever because he's really keeping his eye on the ball on inflation. He's brought it down two-thirds, but his mandate's 2%, and we're still over three, so right. he is not going to stop or cut rates until he gets there. That'd be bad news for your guy. Yeah, look, uh, economy's about how people feel, and if they're paying more at the checkout line when they buy their milk, they're going to be upset about it, and it's something that he's got to get his arm around. I, you know, I'm not going to mince words. First of all, I'm not going to argue the economy with him. I'll argue other things with you, but not the economy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, but it's, it's a, it's, it is a problem politically for anybody who's an incumbent uh, going into election year. I've seen the signs, and I'm sure Chris will agree. Uh, some of the indicators show that people are starting to feel better about the economy, but they're not quite there yet where Biden wants them to be. July 1 is the date that we care about because okay. voter attitudes, all the literature is very clear. Voter attitudes harden in the second quarter of the election year. They come to a conclusion about what's, how do they feel. And uh, you're right uh, that there are positive indicators in consumer confidence and in other places. But those are, you remember during the Obama years, we used to talk about green shoots. Yep. Uh, and in the 2010, we said, oh, the green shoots of the economy. And then the lawnmower would come and, and cut those green shoots right down. So basically for Biden, if, if, if consumer sentiment, voter attitudes about the economy are in positive territory on July 1, that's a buy. That's go long on Biden. If, if consum- even if his approval numbers haven't caught up by then, if they're negative, that's a sell. Last word. Mm. Um, I, I have a question for the panel because cool. I go don't understand it. why this didn't happen. It's a political question. If Biden's going after the independent voter, why wouldn't he swap out his vice president now if you have longevity mm. issues? The independent's worried about his age. Swap out Harris because she's so immensely unpopular with both sides. Get a new VP and say, look, don't worry about my age. Don't worry about my cognitive skills because you've got a backup here that you like if you're an independent. Who is that? Well, isn't there one? Can't they find one? <laughs> so the, the, Abraham, the famous Abraham Lincoln quote, they tell me that I should get anybody to replace my general, but what I need is somebody. Right. And there isn't a somebody that he could swap in. And also the fact that she is the first ever woman of color to be first vice woman. president. There's a you can find woman. another woman of color that people like. Who? Uh, well, I mean, I could, I could make yes, a Mr. No. Wonderful. Yeah. Nobody votes for vice president. I know, Ever. but in this, in this case, nobody goes I, in this case, you're worried about who, who I agree, yeah. I don't, you agree with, you agree with who, Ashley? You agree with who? 
I agree with him okay. that this, in this case, this may happen. In the same way that Sarah Palin was so damaging to John McCain because of John McCain's age, okay. uh, this is a serious problem for Biden. And it would have been better if he wouldn't have run uh, and they could have had an open contest. Uh, and it would have been better if he could have found a way I, if he could have found a way to get rid of her without having a stink. I'm a numbers guy. I've never seen a VP poll as this low before an election ever. Well, it's hard to define yourself when you're sitting in the VP chair, right? So when you're the VP, you got to you got to go out with the big scissors and cut whatever ribbon they want you to cut. And she hasn't had the opportunity. Why is she so unpopular? I, I thought she was a fantastic senator, and I thought she would have been a, a better presidential candidate than she that. was. Why was she a fantastic Oh, my God. Senator. Did you see she the way she would tear people apart <laughs> in the Judiciary <laughs> Committee? She's fantastic. We gotta, Not since Dan Quayle. We got to run, Kevin. Thank you <laughs> Thank so much. Thank you very this much. A lot of fun. I learned uh, something today. There you go. There you go. And that's why we, we <laughs> folks watch The Hill. Kevin, Ashley, I know you two got to run. Thank you so much. Coming up, though, on the other side of the break, Steyerwalt breaks it down. What are you breaking down? I don't know. I better think of something quick. We've only got one commercial break, then i got to get to it. Steyerwalt yeah, breaking down what's going on in the state of Michigan when the hill returns. Bye. Welcome back to The Hill. A critical swing state primary is on the horizon, state of Michigan. But fresh polling from the battleground state says that President Biden still has his work cut out for him. So how bad might it be? Steyerwalt is here to break it all down. Oh, gosh. It frightens me every time, Blake. Every time they run the the animation, I'm alarmed by my giant face. Uh, Okay. Uh, Michigan, shaped like a hand, so... This is a talk to the hand. Uh, okay, let's look at a new general election poll from Michigan conducted for our Next Star family members at WLNS in Lansing, Michigan. It reveals big trouble for President Biden in his looming rematch with former President Donald Trump. That's 45% for Donald Trump, 41% for President Biden, with 14% a lot undecided, undecided. Now, here are some polls for recent comparison, and you'll see right here that it's in line with what's going on. This is not an outlier. You can see that all the polls this year point in the same direction. So what's driving the Democratic doldrums? We know the answer is the same uh, as in lots of other swing states where Biden is struggling. His age, inflation, immigration, and crime chief among them. But Michigan has an extra problem for the incumbent. 53% of all Michiganders, Michiganians, support a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. Now, That maybe isn't that shocking, but look at this. That includes 74% of Democrats and 64% of independents. And then look at this. Among ceasefire supporters, 57% back Biden, 27% back Trump, and 15% are undecided. So what? Biden is winning among the anti-war set, but not by nearly enough. That group is overwhelmingly Democratic and left of center. These folks are supposed to be his base. He needs to win 80% or so of them, not 57%. Part of what makes Michigan different is its unusual demographics. Muslims and Arab Americans don't constitute a significant voting bloc nationally. We don't have perfect numbers, but only about 1% of the country as a whole identified as being of Middle Eastern and North African descent in the most recent census. But a huge part of that population of some 3.5 million people is in Michigan. Maybe as many as a quarter million, and most of them are in the Detroit metro area. Estimates vary, but polls suggest that Biden won almost three quarters of the Arab or Muslim. I know, I know, not the same thing, uh, that group in 2020. So how's it going now?
So not super, I guess is what I would say. Uh, maybe not super. Uh, <laughs> there aren't enough Arab voters in Michigan to doom Biden on their own. But combined with the significant population of young progressives in, the met- in Metro Detroit and the college towns of East Lansing and Ann Arbor, it's a big problem for Democrats, even if they just stay home. The blue team won Michigan in 2020 by 154,181 votes. Republicans won it in 2016 by fewer than 11,000. It's the third largest swing state, and no Democrat has won the presidency without it since 1976. Michigan Democrats are feeling divided and dispirited, but Republicans seem all fired up for Trump. Even if Trump were to be convicted of a crime, the WLNS poll says the best Biden can manage is a tie. Trump, 44 percent. Biden, 44 percent. 12 percent undecided. Yee. The good news for Biden and the Democrats is that Michigan Republicans are kind of a disaster, riven by bitter divisions and sectarian strife. They're even holding competing conventions this year. Not a super look. Nor do we know what percentage of those undecided voters will come home for Biden. But we don't have to wait until November to find out how Biden will do with his own party on Tuesday. Biden will face Democratic voters in the state's primary. Certainly, he's in no danger of losing to pro-Israel, Israel, proudly Jewish, moderate challenger, Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota, his last remaining opponent. But he will face a blank space. Michigan allows primary voters to choose the option of uncommitted. An anti-war and anti-Israel activists are leading an intense effort to get voters to the polls to choose none of the above. Organizers say that they want to get 10% for undecided and send Biden a message and encourage him to get tough on Israel. That wouldn't be a huge problem for the incumbent, and polls show him getting something like 75% of the vote. Good enough, but what if it's less? Amid so many doubts on the Democratic side about Biden's fitness for the campaign trail, if he were to be held under, say, 60%, that would be hell on his electability argument and open up new pressure for him to drop out. A few months ago, it seemed obvious that Biden couldn't really be the Democratic nominee. But just as obvious was that nobody could beat him. But now, nobody is on the ballot. And that could be the toughest adversary he's had yet. Styrewalt breaks it down. I did it. Chris, Roma Dravi, hello, hello. Coming on in, former uh, member of the communications team (laughs) in the Trump White House. That's right, thank you. Thanks for joining us. What do you make of what Chris just laid out? Problem for for Biden in Michigan? Yeah, definitely a problem for Biden in Michigan. Um, At least he's going there. Hillary Clinton did not. So uh, one step in the right direction. But in all seriousness, uh, Biden has been weak on this since the beginning. He's not strong enough for the Muslim community. He's not strong enough for the Jewish community. He really does need to make a stance with this if he's going to have any sort of range that makes a difference for his polling and his votes come November. Um, One thing that we're not really talking about is the fact that he's also losing the Democrat Jewish vote. That is a huge one for him, not in Michigan, maybe, but in New York and California. That could affect uh, statewide right. uh, votes as well. So that's something how, to pay attention how to. How worried are you? I'm worried about Michigan. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think the case is, is clear that there you can lose 10% in Michigan and lose, right? And, that, and that's the one state where this issue will actually matter to Biden. And he's got to figure something out there. That said, you know, I take exception to the electability argument as long as we don't apply it evenly. Trump is getting, you know, 50 percent of his party not voting for him in these early primaries right now. And nobody's talking about his electability. He's going to look there. Nobody thinks Nikki Haley can win uh, the Republican primary. She's going to get 35 plus percent of the vote on Saturday, which shows that Republicans are tired of her. So, yeah, Biden definitely has a problem in Michigan, but it's the same problem Trump has around this country, too. 
the voters aren't happy with either right now. You're hanging around for the rest of the show. I would just note, no matter what happens in November in the state of Michigan, they're still national champions there. <laughs> still much more ahead here on the Hill. There is a major deal in the works that could potentially involve the credit card that you use every day. This is a big one. Discover, Capital One, potentially merging. But now there are calls here in Washington to stop that deal. So if it were to go through, how about this question? What does it mean for your credit card points? Mm. We're asking the experts who would know that is coming up here on the Hill. And why was President Biden's brother behind closed doors up on Capitol Hill? That's on the other side of the break. All right, welcome back. So a Biden was on Capitol Hill today. It was the president's brother. James Biden went behind closed doors for a congressional de uh, deposition about allegations concerning the finances of President Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. Republicans, as you know, are investigating whether the Biden family allegedly profited from Joe Biden's time in office. The White House, of course, and the president himself flatly deny it. James Biden, the president's brother, saying, uh, quote, I never asked my brother to take any official action on behalf of me, my business or anyone else. All right, so this is, Republicans have been pushing this for quite some time up on the Hill. And we just learned the other day that the, the star witness, Alexander Smirnoff, has been charged for lying. And this is what prosecutors contend. Quote, Smirnoff admitted that officials associated with Russian intelligence were involved in passing a story about Hunter Biden. Smirnoff has been actively peddling new lies that could impact U.S. elections. Roma. How do you defend Republicans going forward when the star witness could have Vladimir Putin laughing right now? Well, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin is laughing at America right now for a whole lot of reasons, uh, one of which is that we're the weakest we've ever been on okay. the world stage. Let me, re let me rephrase. This, How do you go forward this with this? issue? This issue, I think, you know, it's never a good thing when you have, uh, you know, the witness lying, but he's not the only witness. You have plenty of other people that are speaking. You have Hunter Biden, who's on the record. Uh, Tony Bobulinski, Hunter is next week. Tony Bobulinski has said, uh, that Joe Biden was involved in these business dealings. So someone here is lying. Uh, look, look, I always thought Jim Jordan was an idiot. I didn't think oh. he was a useful idiot. Oh. Republican oh. who's been over. Useful idiot, which is what they call people who they use to disinformation people. And that's what Russia did to Jim Jordan and Jim Comer. This guy Smirnoff, when this came out, they should have been like, we're done. We're wrapping it up. This was our star guy. They said this was the most cooperating witness we ever had. They are fools. They look foolish. They look like they're being used by our no. enemy. No. And they need to stop now. You can't okay? Look, they hate Biden so much, they were willing to listen to Russian disinformation. Well, they didn't know that at the time. And you really uh, can't argue with the numbers either. There are dollars. We're following the money trail. So it, this guy might not be so, all full of truth and honesty, but you have to just follow so the money. And Russian, the money doesn't look good for Joe Biden. Russian asset. So, so, Chris, strip the names away from it. Mm. If it's just person A, person B, person C, and I tell you that the star witness could be compromised by Russia and has lied, you would say that's it or well, not necessarily? The, we treat people who uh, attain power differently. We hold them, we should hold them to a higher standard, right? Um, and make no mistake that what happened with the Biden family was corruption. Um, when you sell 
influence, even if it's fake influence, even if what Hunter Biden was doing was a scam, even if he was scamming these dirtbags around the world that he was doing it, that's corruption. And uh, credit to the Washington Post that did a really good piece on James Biden's uh, gross business and how uh, trial lawyers and other groups use Jim Biden to get access in Congress. So it's all gross, um, but it's also gross that Jared Kushner uh, skated around uh, the Middle East picking up $2 billion from investors uh, after he used his position. So you could say you could take it out wow. the easy way. You could take it. You could take it out the easy way, and you could say, "Oh, everybody's the worst. Everybody's bad." But I think what what we come back to again and again is the quest for truth and trying to find out is still worth the effort, even if okay. it becomes political. All right, live look live look now at the GOP presidential hopeful Nikki Haley. She is campaigning in the state of South Carolina, of course. Uh, there she is, Nikki Haley, still going up on stage. If you watched the show yesterday, you would know that uh, I interviewed Nikki Haley and asked. Oh, yeah. yeah, you remember that? Oh, yeah. I asked, you know what, if you end up winning the nomination somehow, who would you pick as a vice presidential running mate? Here's what she had to say. Watch. I haven't thought about who it would be for vice president. What I can tell you is the focus wouldn't be on race. It wouldn't be on gender. It wouldn't be on a certain state. It would be who would be the strongest partner to me. Okay, so after airing the interview, uh, we asked and received comments. You know, we've got a newsletter. It's a thing. And we asked for your comments, questions. You got questions for the panel? Email us. We'll ask, we'll ask it on air. Uh-oh. So here we go. Uh, viewer email. Word on the Hill. Uh, someone wants to know, Chris, would it help the campaign if a running, meaning Haley's, if a running mate possibly is announced? Oh, I thought they were going to give suggestions. I thought we were going to get... No, 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 no. We no these, are, these, are, these are reader questions. I, I thought we were going to get VP McVeep face. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> No. Uh, would it help? No. Okay. Because Ted Cruz, as Ted Cruz tried, Ted Cruz, it was Carly yeah. Fiorina. It doesn't work. It, nobody uh, you, really votes for vice president. I, I think it would look pretty bad, actually, I, yeah. for the exact same reason. Uh, Nikki Haley was clearly shocked by that question on air. She hadn't thought about it because she knows she's not getting to the point of picking shocked. a VP. Shocked. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, if you want to ask us a question... We're here. We have the newsletter, uh, Decision Desk <laughs> HQ, our campaign view. Uh, sign up for it. There's a link in there. There we go. You can scan the QR code. And if you have questions for us, the panel, we'll, we'll get to more down the line. We're a little time crunch right yourself, now, but we'll get to more down the line. For yourself. Uh, email us, and uh, your questions could end up here on the Hill. All right, coming up, a massive deal involving two major banks that could create a new credit card behemoth, Capital One and Discover possibly merging. Do you have those credit cards? Potentially, right? If so, what does that mean for your points, for your airline miles, for your card? Might it mean something? Nothing at all? Who knows? Lawmakers, by the way, starting to push back. We'll, we'll get answers with the folks who know on the other side of the break. The team from the points guy joining us here oh. on the Hill. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I want to, I like it. that could bring together over tens of millions of credit card users. Now, today, the top Democrat on the House Financial Services Committee, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, called for the deal to be blocked, saying, quote, I am increasingly concerned that one day our country may be left with only a handful of mega banks. But it's not only Democrats who are against the deal. For example, the uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley slammed the merger by saying, quote, sounds like the credit card companies are finding another way to screw the American people. Joining us now to unpack what's going on here, Clint Henderson. He is the managing editor over at The Points Guy, which is um, all things credit cards. Clint, thanks for being with us here on the Hill. Appreciate it. Um, so, look, if I have a Capital One credit card, a Discover card, 
do, do I want this to go through, this, this merger? You know, it's interesting. I think if you're a Discover card holder, eventually this could lead to more widespread acceptance of Discover cards, especially internationally. Uh, I don't okay. think it's anything to fear from a consumer point of view. In fact, uh, if this deal goes through, you would have another major processor of credit cards available to consumers. So it could potentially even lower interchange fees on credit card transactions. So who knows? It could lead to it could lead to more competition for Visa and MasterCard. That could be a good thing for consumers uh, because they have a lock on much of the market right now when so, it comes to. So, so lowering the, the interchange fee is the fee that the businesses pay to the credit card companies to, you know, for their services of swiping. So I, I, to, to, to take the next step, you're saying this could be good for small and medium sized businesses, essentially. And That's right. You know, there's, there's legislation okay. right now that would crack down on those interchange fees. This may head that off. And eventually, it could also be good news because you could see increased offers for signing up for one of these credit cards. So who knows? The branding uh, possibilities are huge there. So it would create a mega bank. It would be the sixth largest bank. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad for consumers. Okay. Um, So everyone at home and who's listening to us at SiriusXM is saying, Blake, ask them the question, ask them the question. And the question, Clint, is what does it mean for my miles? What does it mean for my points? Would, would, would any of that change? Do they get diluted? What happens? Strengthened? I don't think, I, I think it could actually be good for your miles because it'll enable hmm. Capital One to offer Discover credit cards with big sign-up bonuses. So I think it could actually be good for your mileage balances, and it certainly won't hurt your miles that you currently have or your points that you have right now. Uh, I think from a consumer point of view, this could potentially be a winner. Uh, we'll have to wait and see the details, but I think more sign-up bonuses could be on the horizon, and that's always good news okay. for... Hey, Rip... Real quick, from the industry perspective, um, do, do the folks in the credit card industry think that the, the Biden administration will let this go through or no? The Biden administration has been very anti-merger. Yeah, uh, that which is why I ask. Approved, yeah, they have approved some deals this size, though, in the past couple of years. So um, I, when you combine that with the potential competition that it's giving to Visa and MasterCard, it could be signed off from the Justice Department. We'll have to see. Okay. Clint Henderson, uh, Clint Henderson over at the Point Sky. Thank you, Clint. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens here. Again, tens of millions of people hold these credit cards. So, Clint, thank you. Okay. Um, all right. So, by the way, switching back to politics for a second. Mm. No, I guess that was politics, right? Yeah. Biden's yeah. got a big, big decision here. The, the administration has a decision to make here. Show the, show the photo. RFK Jr., <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, looks like it's out on a hike. Uh, RFK Jr. tweeting out, quote, Hanging with Aaron Rodgers and his amazing Achilles. By the way, we, we asked the RFK, RFK Jr.'s campaign, whose dogs are those? They're all RFK Jr.'s, in case you were wondering. But when you look at that, that image there, one of our favorite segments, what do you see? Well, Chris first Hahn? of all, he could hike up that mountain, but he couldn't play quarterback for the Jets this year. <laughs> and I see two guys who I would not want coughing on me. That's what I say. Uh, Roma, what do you see? Uh, you know, RFK, he's very strong. He's very fit, uh, but not fit to be president. There you go. What's going on there? I see him. Just an Great. astonishingly filthy Subaru parked just out of frame. Because <laughs> nobody's going to tell me that RFK Jr. is not a Subaru driver. And look at those dogs. And you just know that that car is filthy. Just the backseat is just covered with hair. Matted. They're, they're, they're all three of his. Like we, we literally asked the campaign. We were like, whose dogs are those? And, and they told I, us, I can smell that car campaign. from here. Come on. Are you kidding me? I, I wonder if there's anything behind... 
those two and some support. Who knows? Jesse Ventura got elected uh, governor of Minnesota. The former professional wrestler got uh, elected governor of Minnesota. Donald Trump became president of the United States. Mm. Weird, wild, wacky, yeah. famous people yeah. sometimes uh, get traction. I, I don't think RFK is ever going to be president. No. But he could be a lot of trouble for Donald Trump. Okay. Okay. All right. Still to come here from the Hill. New polling. Speaking of RFK, shows where Donald Trump and Joe Biden stand in a possible rematch. And when you look at all five or, or five candidates, how the numbers shift and what it all means. Leland Vitter joins on the other side of the break. Stay with us. You're watching The Hill here on News Nation. <laughs> Special guest Bill O'Reilly on Cuomo. If I'm interviewing Joe Biden, what do you think is going to happen? TV's liveliest, most honest debate. You're going to talk a lot and uh, interrupt them. Tonight at 8, 7 central, only on News Nation. All right, so before we say goodbye, here's a, a poll, I guess, that caught our eye. It comes from Quinnipiac University in a five-person race. President Biden, here's the numbers, uh, holds a slight edge over Donald Trump, 38 to 37. But look to the, to the middle and to the right of your screen there. RFK Jr., Cornell West, Jill Stein, add them all up, 21% of the vote, according to that Quinnipiac University poll, one of the best that there is. Leland Vitter, host of On Balance. Hello, hello. Um, hello. There, there's a lot of ways to look at this, right, like in the two-person. Including that it just absolutely doesn't matter. <laughs> this far out? <laughs> We're seven months to November. Okay, so I guess three one. ways to look yeah. at it. One, it doesn't matter. Uh, two, when you put them head-to-head, it's Biden plus four. But, I mean, what about, what about 21%? Like, like that, that would be something we haven't seen in a very long time. If that, if that holds, we haven't yes. seen that into, since Ross Perot. Right. Right. And, and I think this goes to it. I was talking about somebody, something about this earlier. The disenchantment we feel and the anger that you and I have reported on when we travel America among voters is very similar to what people felt in 1992. Um, right. the, the establishment now is, effectively Donald Trump and Joe Biden rather than just George H.W. Bush. What's interesting is, is that the Bill Clinton character, the person who came in and sort of changed the conversation um, in American politics in 1992, came from came from nowhere, if you will, from a little town called Hope. We don't have that person in this race offering some kind of aspirational message. Yep. Uh, and that is different. I, I, you know, when I when I think about those numbers, let's just let's just operate for a second that those are wrong, flat wrong, wrong by half. Even if it's ten percent, come November, that would really shift things. And that's sure. one of the reasons why I look at that number. All right, uh, Brett Gerard coming up on your show. Yeah, it turns out that all of those conspiracy theories about the vaccines <laughs> having uh, bad effects on people. 